Hey, Coffee Breakers. This is just a warning to let you know that this episode contains adult content and may be disturbing to some listeners. Please take caution and listener discretion is advised. Hey, Coffee Breakers. I'm AC. And I'm Scully. And today we're bringing you part two of Savan Savekis' story. We left off last week with... Um, Franklin Floyd going by Trenton Davis enrolling Suzanne in public school under the name Suzanne Davis in Oklahoma City. So just kind of catch everybody up. That was high school. No, this is elementary school. Elementary school. So she was a Davis in elementary. She was. Okay. Um, at least parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. So according to... Matthew Burbeck's book, A Beautiful Child, Suzanne was able to read, spell, add, and subtract when she started the first grade at six years old. Um, That's impressive, right? Yeah, in 1975. Yeah, absolutely. The year was 1975. That's extremely impressive. She was extremely gifted. Yeah. Um, And... (sighs) It just adds to the heartbreakingness of it. Yeah, it does. It's And just the fact that everything that she went through and yeah so Suzanne and Franklin would remain in Oklahoma City for two or so years until a babysitter of Suzanne's reported allegations that Franklin was sexually abusing Suzanne Mm. um and this occurred in 1978 Franklin would immediately take Suzanne and leave the area it is unknown if anyone from Child Protective Services actually contacted Franklin prior to them leaving the area it's assumed because he immediately left. So why would he leave? Doesn't that, like, cause something, though? Like, I mean, I know it was back in the day, so I don't know what services or what they had in place, but it just seems like that would be a... Red flag? Yeah. Put it in somewhere? Yeah, not that I'm aware of. It's more like, oh, they're gone. Close case. Mm, okay. And we're going to leave that alone and keep going. Um... Franklin would appear with Suzanne again in 1980 in Louisville, Kentucky, under the name of Warren and Sharon Marshall, and this would remain their aliases for quite a while. Okay. Okay. So 1980 is when that alias is first appeared that we know of. Okay. Franklin Warren um, at the time was a painter. He joined the local Kiwanis Club and church in the area. And Franklin and Sherrod would attend church regularly. Uh, I said Sharon, but Suzanne. Yeah. But she was going by Sharon at the time. Yeah. Suzanne and Sharon continued to do well in school. However, their stay in Louisville, Kentucky, would be short-lived. We don't know why Franklin decided to uproot once again. However, Franklin, known as Warren at the time, and Suzanne, known as Sharon at the time, would appear in Arizona in 1981, so about a year. They stayed in Kentucky. Um, Suzanne was starting seventh grade at the time and met and became friends with a young man named Mario. In Finding Sharon by Matthew Burbeck, Mario describes when he first met Suzanne, known as Sharon, when she was rollerblading and he was instantly drawn to her. No. They became schoolmates and fast friends. Mario remembered Suzanne sneaked into his apartment, and they would talk and do little middle school kisses. Uh, Mario's mother liked Suzanne, known as Sharon. However, she did not like Franklin, known as Warren. Uh, 
and warned Mario to stay away from him. Mario recalled to Mr. Burbeck that Suzanne, known as Sharon, would be terror-filled if she was running late for her 4 p.m. curfew. Mm. Even in the seventh grade, Suzanne was expected home by 4 p.m. to cook and clean for Franklin. Suzanne shared with Mario that Franklin, her father, um, had a bad back and that she was expected to give him massages. Mm. Mario remembered thinking that that was weird, but Suzanne seemed happy and a fun girl, so he didn't think much about it. Yeah. Um, Suzanne would disappear in 1982 when she was in the eighth grade. There were no goodbyes. It is unknown as to if Franklin was suspected of any crimes or why he uprooted once again. I think he just gets spooked after a while. I think he just, you know, can't stay anywhere for too long. He's too afraid. Well, yeah, probably because he's on the run. Yeah. Um, I think if anybody looks at him kind of weird, he automatically like, assumes they know and he leaves. Well, you're probably, you're probably Either correct. his previous history or what he was doing to Suzanne. Right. Suzanne. You're probably right. Yeah. Um, it is unknown as to where Franklin took Suzanne until they showed up in Atlanta in 1983. So from 1982 to 1983, just don't kind of know. Um, still using the same alias in Atlanta. Suzanne, known as Sharon, was first enrolled as a freshman at Northside High School. However, she would not remain in that school long. She was transferred to Baldwin High School in May of 1983. Do we know how to switch? Mm-mm. Okay. It should be noted that this area of Georgia was less than 100 miles from Reedville State Prison, where he spent his time in Atlanta. <laughs> See, I think he went back to Georgia because he had connections. Mm, makes sense. It should be, let's see, even though Suzanne was not enrolled in school at Baldwin, excuse me, even though Suzanne was not enrolled in school at Baldwin until May, she would show up at Riverdale High School in September of 1983 when school took back in session. Okay. Um, And she would stay there until January 1984, where she would transfer to Forest Park High School, where she would stay until she graduated in 1986. So, bunch of jumping. I just find it so weird he let her go to school. See, I think what we're dealing with with Franklin, and this again, I, I'm not qualified to say this, but I think he's narcissistic, so he wanted to have the best kid, even though he was... Yeah, but he didn't view her as a kid. But I think he did in a way. A sick way, but I think he did. See, the only thing I can think when I think why he let her go was it gave him time to do other stuff, to do his other stuff. And he knew where she was, I guess. Like yeah. he thought she's not going to try to like bolt from there or anything because she had been trained very, right. very well. Right. Maybe. I don't know. Cause it just, I just find that so weird that he would let her go all the way to completion and encouraged it. Like, she was expected to have good grades, maintain good behavior. Like, it was not... It's weird. It's very, very, very weird. Um, this is the longest, it seems, that Suzanne was allowed to stay in one place during her yeah. um, education. Suzanne would meet someone in July of 1984 that would remember her forever and much later help tell her story. That person was Jennifer Fisher. Um, 
Suzanne was Jennifer Fisher's high school best friend, and later Jennifer would be important to the investigation against Franklin and and into Suzanne, like insight for the FBI. Jennifer met Suzanne, known as Sharon at the time, at a student council summer program in Rome, Georgia, okay. at Berry College. Jennifer and Suzanne would become instant friends at the student council camp, and when it was over, Jennifer asked Suzanne for a number. However, Suzanne told Jennifer that she was not allowed to give her number out per her father, period. Okay. So... Jenny gave Suzanne her number instead, and they parted ways. Now, Jenny was infatuated with Suzanne, known as Sharon, um, and told her parents all about this amazing friend that she made. You know, you got to yeah. think 14, 15 years old. Um, after about a week of not hearing from Suzanne, Jennifer took it upon herself to look up her number in the student council directory and she called and Sharon answered the phone after a couple rings but she did not sound happy to hear from Jennifer at that time Um, she reported that she spoke in hushed tones and was questioning Jennifer about how she found her number almost panicky Mm -hmm. Jennifer reported that um, it wasn't long during the conversation that she would hear an older male in the background yelling loudly uh, and Sharon giving apologetic, quick responses of, I'm sorry, Daddy, I'm sorry, Daddy, you know. Mm. Yeah. And um, Jennifer reported that the phone slammed down on the receiver and afraid to call back and not exactly sure what was going on. Um, she just kind of went down to the kitchen and was just trying to process everything. And around five to ten minutes later, Jennifer's home phone rang. And I said home phone like it was the 80s. That's probably all they had. Yeah. But, um, her home phone rang, and she answered it. And it was Suzanne, known as Sharon, who quickly apologized for the abrupt hang-up, stating that her father was angry that Jennifer found their number because... Suzanne was not allowed to give out her number, but they quickly changed the subject and told Jennifer she was glad that she heard from her, and the two girls started talking, and... I wonder if he, like, left. I I don't know if he left the house then, because I don't see him allowing that conversation to go on. I don't know. So I think... Ugh. I think he saw another victim. Do you? Potential victim, yeah. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe he did leave. I don't know. All I know is Sharon called her back. Or yeah. Suzanne called her back. Um, so I want to mention something here. And just because I was... Um, when I watched the documentary, I thought that Jennifer and Sharon went to the same high school. Yeah. They do not. They did not. Really? Yeah. Jennifer attended Tucker High School. Jennifer lived around an hour away from Suzanne. Oh, yeah, it made it out like they were at the same school. Yeah, they were not. Um, The two girls continued their telephone friendship for the rest of the summer of 1984, and by August, Jennifer had received permission from her parents to invite Suzanne over for a sleepover at their home, which was accepted. So this is what I find weird, that he allowed her to spend the night with somebody. Sharon. Sharon. Could go to Jenny's. Yes. Yeah. I find that weird. 
Um, a week later, on a Saturday, Suzanne, known as Sharon, arrived at the Fisher's home along with Franklin, Warren. Uh, Franklin wanted to meet Jennifer's parents prior to Suzanne, prior to leaving Suzanne in their care. Franklin and Suzanne went inside the home, which was much different from Suzanne's home. Franklin met Jennifer's parents and immediately made it weird by introducing his painting business and producing a business card from Mr. Fisher to hand out to his neighbors. Franklin, known as Warren, left Suzanne with the Fishers, stating that he would be back the next morning to pick up Sharon, Suzanne. Jennifer and Suzanne did the typical 80 girls activities. They went to the mall to shop, hang out, and escape out boys. It was here that Jennifer found out that Suzanne was in desperate need of glasses as she thought one girl was a boy. And Sharon explained, or Suzanne explained that she was nearsighted and her daddy didn't like her to wear glasses and they couldn't afford contacts. Interesting. Yeah. I like it. It's just another red flag. Mm-hmm. Um, the girls came home and ate dinner and stayed up half the night talking about a variety of topics. Franklin showed up the next morning and Miss Fisher extended Franklin a cup of coffee, which he accepted, and then he immediately asked Mr. Fisher if he'd given out his business cards. No. Right. Crazy. Right. It's been twenty four hours. <laughs> right. So that rubbing him you they're he's rubbing the Fishers the wrong way. Yeah. Absolutely. So two weeks later, Suzanne arrived back at the home along with Franklin. Franklin immediately asked to speak with Mr. Fisher in private. It was here that Franklin asked Mr. Fisher for a monetary loan, which Mr. Fisher denied. Yeah. Yeah. The second time you've met him. Right. He don't know you. Right. While Mr. and Mrs. Fisher decided that they liked Suzanne, known as Sharon, they did not like him. (laughs) No. No. Mr. and Mrs. Fisher's home became a place where Sharon was always welcome. Uh, Suzanne was always welcome. It was here that Suzanne had broccoli for the, for the first time in her life, which she loved. The first time? The first time. She didn't know what it was. Jeez. I know. That hit me hard, too. So, eventually, the invitation was extended for Jennifer to come and spend the night at Suzanne's home, which was strictly forbidden by Mr. Fisher. However, Mr. Fisher was a pilot and went out of town one weekend, and Mrs. Fisher caved to Jenny's request. Mistake number one. Yeah. On Saturday, Mrs. Fisher drove Jennifer the hour to to Suzanne, known as Sharon's home. The neighborhood was a different socioeconomic class from the Fishers. So, the Fishers. Dad's a pilot. They were doing well. Yeah, yeah. They lived in a four-bedroom, like, Tudor-style, big yeah. home in a very nice neighborhood. And Franklin's a painter. Right. And that's not going to be a lot of income. Right. And Miss Fisher drove a Mercedes. So, definitely different backgrounds here. Yeah. Uh, Miss Fisher quickly dropped off Jennifer and made her way back home. She didn't hang around long. <laughs> Okay. So, Suzanne gave Jennifer a tour of the home. Jennifer saw a picture of a woman, and Suzanne told her that it was her mother and that her name was Linda, but they didn't discuss it anymore. Okay. 
Jennifer noticed that most of the doors in the home had been removed and replaced with curtains. Isn't that different from the documentary, though? Because didn't she say in the documentary that she told her that her mother had died? She does, but late. I mean, yes. Yes, she okay. does, but but later. Okay. Not at this moment in the book. Okay. Um, just, you know, very limited discussion. That was my mama, but you miss her, yes. But, like, that's it. Okay. In the book. Um... Okay, sorry. <laughs> kind of lost my train of thought there. Most of, and this stood out to me, that most of the doors on the home had been taken out and replaced by curtains. Yeah. I, I mean, I could see that. He doesn't want her doing anything behind closed doors. Right. Um, Jennifer also noted that Suzanne had a lot of reading materials, books, magazines, that kind of stuff in her bedroom. And that's when Jennifer was informed that Suzanne loves loved to read and that Suzanne stated that she enjoyed losing herself in a story. But yeah, it's her only escape. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I love to read. I love to read as a kid, but I think she was using it as a coping. Yeah, she could tap out. Yeah. So Franklin took the girls to dinner and then on the way back to home, he suggested he take the girls dancing. Jennifer also reported that Franklin made comments about Jennifer being pretty and attractive and that it made her feel embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. Franklin, Warren, told the girls to get dressed to go dancing, and the girls hurried into Suzanne's room to get dressed. It was there that Jennifer noted that Suzanne had some sexy clothing and that she also had a drawer full of lingerie. Yeah. Which Sharon told Jennifer that Franklin, her father, remember, bought her because they were pretty. Mm. Yeah, we're going to keep going. The girls were taken to a dive bar. So I think in Jennifer's head, they were going to go to a club. He took them to like a a bar. Like a hole in the wall. Yeah. Um, Franklin accompanied the girls inside after speaking to the bouncer and then left them. He bounced. Okay, that's weird. Jennifer remember being like shocked that he left would leave them there with yeah. all the older men and they're underage. Yeah. Um, however, she reported that Suzanne was unfazed. Hmm. Um, the girls danced for a while while Suzanne waved the older men away. So like she already knew how to handle the situation. She was not nervous, scared. Had probably not her first time. No. Um, Franklin arrived a couple hours later to pick up the girls and took them home. Okay. He instructed the girls to get ready for bed. The girls went to Suzanne's bedroom to change. Jennifer reports that they were still laughing and talking when Franklin busted through the curtain that was being used as a door with a gun. Okay. He yelled at them and pointed the gun at them and was telling them I told you to go to bed like why are you being so loud like just yelling Okay. Um, this scared Jennifer and she tried to cover herself up because they were half dressed Okay. like they were changing um, she stated that Franklin started laughing and then left the room okay Suzanne told Jennifer that he was just playing like he was just like that sometimes and he was just playing um so see, I'm picturing him like trashed, 
Like, I think he went and did his own kind of partying, so I feel like he's... Exactly. Yeah, he's or, sloppy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, in the documentary um, that we watched, Girl in the Picture, Jennifer shared that after that incident, um, he came back into the room, mm-hmm. and he told Jennifer to lay down and cover her head, and that he raped Sharon, Suzanne... By gunpoint. Yeah. That is not in the book. See, and I I'm just, I'm going to just point out that. I find it interesting, too. I don't know. Okay. Um, but it's in neither one of those books. And he interviewed her? Yes. Yeah, see. I just don't know. Um, so, it reports that... I don't know what happened there. Yeah. I think there was, I think that he busted into the room with the gun and scared the crap out of them. But I don't know about. I don't know that I buy the second half. I don't know either. Um, But Jennifer decided then that she would never come back to Suzanne's house ever, ever, ever. Yeah. Yeah. So. The Fishers were a direct witness to the loving and giving person that Suzanne Sharon was and continued to try to be, as well as Franklin's odd and troubling behavior. The Fishers detail an incident that occurred in the spring of 1985 when they went shopping and when they arrived back home, they found Franklin sleeping on their couch while Suzanne sat in a nearby chair crying. The Fishers? Like- the Fishers. That they live an hour away, Fishers. They come home to him in their house asleep. asleep on their couch. And her crying. Mm-hmm. Franklin reported that they'd come by to visit and that his back was really hurting him, so he let himself in via the garage doors and then took a nap. Why is she crying? Miss, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't give an explanation. Mr. Fisher was angry but kept his anger in check due to his fondness for Suzanne or Sharon. As she was known at the time. Okay, well, why don't you, like, start looking into that? Like, why? You got this girl crying. You already know he's skeevy. He's giving you all kinds of bad... Bobs. Bobs. I don't understand why it's like, eh. Well, I think it just comes down to apathy. Not my monkey, not my circus. Yeah, but you're going to sit there and say, because you, you thought of her so much. Mm-hmm. You know, you kept it in check. Well, if you thought of her so much, I don't know. I would have poked it. Oh, yeah. I think... Yes. I would have been like, that something ain't right. Right. Well, they did search their house and nothing was taken. And I don't even care about that. Like something's wrong with this girl. Well, why is she crying? What's wrong with this girl? And I would have harassed my daughter because you. I think I would have pulled Suzanne aside, Sharon aside, and been like, baby, it's all my right. Yeah. And but I don't know if that's just because. It's because of what we do. Of what we do, but... And what we have seen. I don't know. I just, and experienced in life. Like, we know. I just feel like even just a mama or, like, a, a good daddy would be like, something ain't right with this girl. Well, so here's the thing. Sharon excelled in everything. And people think that kids who are abu- bro- abused and broken can't excel. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. There was no visible bruises. They were, there was nothing to indicate in her behavior that she was going through anything just that he was weird but he couldn't be doing too bad right like he couldn't be too bad because she's so great 
Yeah, but I don't understand. That's why I guess I don't buy the extra stuff Jenna said, Jenny said in the documentary because if that had happened, even just busting in with the gun, most teenagers are going to be like, I'm never, like, they're going to have fear when mentioning doing anything with that person again. Right. They might not want to come out flat and tell you, but you're going to know. You're going to distance yourself from that person. Correct. But that's just if that one thing happened. Let alone the other. Let alone this other thing. And then the next thing is she's in your house crying. Like, I don't know. I, mean, I feel like I would spill the beans in and be like, Mama, when I went, yeah, this, 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 and this happened. Right. Like, she's not okay. He buys her sexy clothes. Like, there's lingerie in her top drawer. Like. Yeah. I, I agree. All the things. I know. Uh, again, I lost my, hold on, my train of thought. Sorry, I went off on my tirade. It's okay. I mean, it is a tirade. Like, when, so everybody, like, my biggest pet peeve with the story is like, why did she never ask for help? And I'm like, she did so many times. She just never come out and said, can you help me, please? Yeah. But she did so many times. I think she was scared. She was terrified. This had been happening since she was like five or six. Four. Well, he took her at four, right? Took her at five. He okay. came into her life since four. So I think when he took her is when it started. So I'm yeah. going to say five. He started sexually abusing her. Yes. And she's been that and all the way up until what age is she now? She's about 15 now. Okay. So 10 years yeah. of sexual abuse and, and probably physical abuse. And mental abuse. And mental and, and all kinds of stuff. And she had hopped from place to place to place to place. The child probably didn't even feel like she had. Who do you even, who's going to believe me? Right. Because he probably told her, I'm an adult. They're not going to believe you. Like, you're just, what are you, you know? Yeah. And she. You can't prove it. Yeah. You can't, you know, what, what, what's going to happen to you. I'm your only one. Right. I'm sure it was completely manipulative. And I just feel like there's so many people that saw her and just so many people that were like, eh. I guess that's why I'm the whole, if you see something, say something. If you see something, say something. You may save a life. Yeah. I mean, it. you could be wrong, but I'd rather be wrong than know that I had contact with this person that went through this. And I saw something. Life. Yeah. I saw something and mm -hmm. I didn't say anything. Yeah. And then knowing somebody's life ended like hers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's our tirade. There'll be more. Yeah. Again, this is weird. Look, we got to go all the way to 1990. We're just in 1985. Okay. And, and beyond, really. Yeah. So, so in 1985, Suzanne, known as Sharon, would meet someone else who would become her friend and that she would have a major impact on. Lynn Thornton reports that he had a horrible time at Forest Park High School until he met Suzanne. Is this the one that's in the documentary? Mm-hmm. He's also in the documentary, and he's in Finding Sharon okay. by Matthew Burbeck. According to Matthew Burbeck's book, Finding Sharon, <laughs> Lynn met Suzanne after a particularly rough day at school in which he was shoved into a locker by his peers. He was sitting on the front steps of the school trying to hold back tears when Suzanne known as Sharon, approached him and said hello. And they became friends. No. Suzanne nicknamed him Ray Baby for no apparent reason. Don't know. She came up with her on her own. That's what she called him. And took up for him when he was being bullied by his peers. No. 
Um, she would spend time with him as much as she could, given that Franklin's strict rule of being home by 4 p.m. to cook and clean for him, as well as to take care of him. Suzanne disclosed to Lynn on one occasion that she didn't sleep well the night before because Franklin, uh, or Daddy, as she called him, was back eight, and she, she had to massage it until it felt better. Mm. Lynn also described a time where Suzanne was at Lynn's apartment when Franklin came to re- Did I say that right? Did Suzanne. I say Suzanne was at Lynn's apartment? Yeah. Okay, I thought it, in my head I said it backwards. So, yeah. cool. Suzanne was at Lynn's apartment. Um, when Franklin came and to retrieve Suzanne in an aggressive manner, he knocked loudly on the door, cursing, yelling, get your out of here you know but about yeah all that Lynn's mother reported that this sent her spidey senses tingling because she was an investigator with Atlanta Police Department but because Suzanne never directly disclosed anything to her there was nothing she could do did she ever ask her there's no details of whether or not she ever asked I can't say that she didn't because she is a cop so she might have but I don't think she did I don't know. Because I think if she did, I think Suzanne would have said. I don't know that she would have. I think she was so trained by him. I don't know. Because if she knew she was a cop, um, I think she would have. Maybe. Potentially. Maybe. Because she would have been like, maybe this person could Can do something. help me. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Lynn also tells of a time when he was trying to get photographs taken to launch his modeling career. And Franklin had offered to take the pictures because, you know, he's an amateur photographer. Okay. Leon reported that they went to this warehouse, and when I say they, Franklin, Suzanne, and him. Now, Franklin was still known as Warren and Suzanne um, as Sharon at this time. Yeah. And Franklin was really upset because the hair, the warehouse was nasty, and he, he said he couldn't take the pictures there. Okay. And... um he left but any additional times that Franklin or Lynn would try to set up the photo shoot Suzanne would deflect the conversation so I think that Suzanne was trying to protect Lynn from Franklin yep I think he had some pretty nasty intentions with that boy yeah I think he was going to take photos like he did of her and Cheryl Mm -hmm. or make since Suzanne was with him yeah it's very possible yeah and a Beautiful Child by Matthew Burbeck um, in 1985, Sharon, Suzanne, took the SATs and scored a 1230, which is an amazing score because the max is 1400. She was extremely bright. She was. It's crazy. Like this, it. Yeah. This opened the door to just pretty much any college you wanted, honestly. And but there was only one school that Suzanne wanted to go to, and that was Georgia Tech to be, study. Um, I always say it wrong. I always want to say neurosurgeon, but it's not neurosurgeon. It's aeronautical. Nope, that doesn't. That's not it. She wanted to work for NASA. Yeah, I can't. What is it? Aeronautical engineer. It was engineer. I thought. Yeah, aeronautical, like arrows, like playing <laughs> I don't remember I'm gonna have to look it up yeah 
It's aerospace engineer. Right. She wanted to be an astronaut, essentially, maybe, or at least work space-wise. I don't know. I don't exactly know what that entails, but I know it's a lot smarter than me. (laughs) Same, fam. (laughs) Same. Okay, so... Suzanne was active at Forest Park High School, and she was involved with future business leaders, science club, math and computer clubs, ROTC, ROTC drill team, and Cadet Honor Society. And she became a who's who among American high school students in 1985. Also in 1985, Suzanne found a boyfriend, Jason Anderson, Jason was a troubled student at her high school. He played football and kind of got in trouble, not great grades, that kind of stuff. And her dating situation was weird because Suzanne was not allowed to date by herself. And Franklin always accompanied her on her dates to the movies and dinners. Like sat with them? Yeah. Rumors ran wild at Forest Park High School about Suzanne's father. See... I don't think it's totally weird that she that he accompanied accompanied them. Uh huh. <laughs> you looking at me weird, but truthfully, because <laughs> the way I grew up, like that, you did that. Like if you went out on like a date when you were younger, she, you went with your parents. Nineteen eighty five, so she'd be about like sixteen. Yeah, Not it's like all. a it's like a supervised, you know. I mean, I understand a supervised day. I guess. I don't... Yeah. So that that in and of itself doesn't like red flag for me. It's a red flag for me. I don't know why. I don't know why. I guess because when I was 16 is when I was allowed to date and date alone. I had a strict curfew, but I was allowed to be picked up. Like, you had to come in the house. You, yeah. You know, my mama had to have your tag number and your license number and, you know, all the crazy things and all that, but not... See, I, we... I mean, we did a lot with the families back then, like go to your, you know, go go to their house for dinner and they come to yours and it was as a, you know, a family with the boyfriend, but, oh man, I wonder if my little 16 year old boyfriend remembers all that. Anyway, I see all of mine were like the, the most you would have is like the car ride. Like we could all ride together in a car to because I had a friend that was driving. Shout out to our supporter. Yes. Hallie. Um, We would drive, you know, to whatever place, but there was always, like, adult chaperones there and then drive to, like, a house of one of the people and, again, adult chaperones there. So that, to me, doesn't... But if you and your boyfriend wanted to go to the movies, right, would somebody accompany you? If it wasn't, like, a group date? Like... I want to say I was, like... 17 or 18 and I went to the movies with my now husband right um alone but most of our stuff was supervised yeah there was a there was an adult there typically okay, okay. yeah I, if I saw what well, my point is is if we I did saw a lot this of church p- things like together like me and mine yeah um and I'll not mine current but mine then yeah um and stuff like that where there would be adults around but as far as like they are assigned to watch you like well it was never like that like they would be like if you went to mcdonald's all all of the like youth could sit together mm-hmm. but the adults were there 
like that kind of thing. Like okay. there was always someone there. Now he didn't sit at the table in between you and watch you like intently, but you were always supervised in some way. Gotcha. Okay. And so that's why I said for this particular thing, depending on how he did it, I wouldn't probably be like, mm, skeevy. I would probably be like, okay. Well, it's there's just not a, a dad, quote unquote, wanting to be sure nothing takes place. Well, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that's why Franklin did it. But. No, that's not why Franklin did it. I think it was a control and a, I can't let you out of my sight and you can't tell anybody anything and I'm going to yeah. watch you like a hawk, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm not sure what kind of, like, what he did on these dates. I just know it caused a lot of stir. See, I feel like he had to be creepy well, and had to it say was Franklin, stuff I think and, he was creepy. I think that's just, yeah. you know. If especially if it started something. But sorry, I'm done with my tangent. Go. No, you're fine. I, that, that's why I need you to to inform. Okay. So, Suzanne also participated in the junior prom committee. And she, but she would have to leave quickly at 4 p.m. to be home to complete her chores. Miss Worley, the teacher assigned to advise the committee, pulled Suzanne aside and told her if she wanted to get credit for being on the committee that she would have to spend the entire time needed. Suzanne told Miss Worley that her father was not well and he needed her help and that she had to be home. And Miss Worley caved. Okay. So she did get credit. I was about to say, she should. I mean, if her father's forcing her home. Right. Uh, Suzanne attended the junior prom with Jason and frankly did not attend with them. Surprising. I know. I guess maybe that would have been too far because there are chaperones and stuff at that. And if he'd have shown up to that, they'd have been like, what are you doing? Right. Maybe. Potentially. Um, So during this time, Suzanne and Jennifer... We're still friends. Okay. But they didn't spend as much time together. and But they continued to talk on the phone and do all the things. Yeah. I mean, they're both going through high school, so they're going to grow apart a little bit if they're not together. Right. So Jennifer details that in March of 1986, she received a call from Suzanne, who was screaming and excited because she had received her acceptance to Georgia Tech. And that she had also received a full scholarship from her participation in ROTC. Suzanne was over the moon. However, Jennifer reported that Suzanne showed hesitation and nervousness about telling her quote-unquote father, Franklin. Uh, And I just want to remind everybody that Suzanne and Franklin's aliases at this point were Sharon and Warren Marshall. I haven't mentioned that in a little bit, so... Do you think she did the school stuff, like, on the down low? What do you mean? Like, was trying to get in and, like, get all that stuff without him knowing? Maybe. It kind of, it kind of feels that way. Um, Like, maybe that was her first ticket where she thought she might be able to get out? Maybe. So, Jennifer told her that she should tell her father and, um... That her father would be proud of her, you know, everything. Like, why are you nervous? Like, a normal daddy would be. Right. <laughs> um, and later that night, Jennifer received another call from Suzanne speaking in a whisper, telling Jennifer that she had told Franklin and that he was going to let her go to college. 
Surprise. Surprise. Franklin, posing as Warren, took out a full-page ad in the yearbook expressing his pride in Suzanne Sharon's accomplishments and acceptance into Georgia Tech. So that's why I say that while, yes, he's a pedophile 100%, he was really trying to put on the act of the father. Well, yeah, because, I mean, he was taking her to church. He was going on these dates. Like, he was trying to be super attentive, super over-the-top kind of dad. Right. But He was going to be the best dad. Remember the narcissist? That may make sense. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, it was also in the spring of 1986 that students and teachers at Forest Park High School noticed that Suzanne was gaining weight in her face and midsection. Many rumors started to spread around the high school and teachers became worried. According to Finding Sharon by Matthew Burbeck, one of the guidance counselors spoke with Suzanne and asked her multiple times if she was pregnant and each time she denied it. Mm-hmm. However, in one meeting, Suzanne was confronted by the guidance counselor and she broke down admitting that she was pregnant and was due in July. Is that with the Jason guy? No. This was the father of the baby was her new boyfriend, Curtis flower nori okay sorry um i yeah that's the best i got okay okay so suzanne um called jennifer and told jennifer that franklin wasn't going to let her attend college anymore since she was pregnant like she you know completely devastated she was sad and she was going to lose her scholarship because it was a ROTC scholarship and she couldn't physically do the stuff while pregnant to qualify. Okay. So um, Franklin, when he found out that she was pregnant, he became enraged is what it said. And um, he forbade Suzanne from walking with her class to receive her diploma. Hmm. Um, Suzanne seemed to be desperate and depressed. Suzanne informed Jennifer that she was pregnant and she was depressed and desperate. I already said that. I'm so sorry. And she ran with Curtis. She ran away with Curtis. Um, But Franklin hunted them down in a motel in Alabama. Oh, wow. Yeah. Curtis reported that Warren beat on the door and took Suzanne to a room at the motel and told Curtis they would discuss everything in the morning. But when Curtis woke up the next morning, he found a note that stated he was not the father of the baby and to leave Suzanne alone. And he never heard from them again. Wow. Yeah. So, I'm not sure on timeline-wise, but... Suzanne called Jennifer and informed her that she was moving at some point, and she didn't know where, but it was probably going to be out west and most likely Arizona, and she wanted to see her before she left. Jennifer and the Fishers, Fishers accepted the visit, and Suzanne arrived and looked depressed, ashamed, and very pregnant. Okay. Miss Fisher embraced Suzanne, and they spoke about her situation. Suzanne told them that she thought they were leaving for Arizona and that she spoke about maybe attending college in Arizona the following year. She reported the plan was to have the baby and place the baby for adoption. 
Why did they have to go to Arizona? I, do you think he was to get her away from Curtis? I do. I think run he was the, to break all those ties. I didn't think about that. And do you think the reason he got so enraged was because it transitioned for him? Yeah. Like when she became a mom? I think as soon as he found out that she was pregnant, she became used goods to him. That's what I'm saying. Like it switched. Like yeah. his thing is a pedophile. Yeah. And when she became a mom essential i mean even if she even if she didn't get to keep her baby she's still a mom like she yeah. still had it so did that switch something in his brain so now she's like all right what can you do for me like monetary probably that's what i think um so uh suzanne and jennifer said goodbye suzanne did give birth to a baby in 1986 we don't know gender anything. we do know gender um Because Jenny received a letter in late summer of 1986 that was postmarked out of Arizona from Suzanne. Jennifer read that Suzanne had given birth to a baby boy and that he was adopted by two doctors in Texas. Wow. Yeah. Um... So, Suzanne told, in this letter, Suzanne told of the few minutes she was able to spend with her son. Um, Suzanne asked if she could visit Jennifer. So, she talks about the pain of labor in the letter and, like, getting to see his little fingers and toes before they took him and how hard it was for her. Mm. Um, But Suzanne asked in the letter if she could visit Jennifer, and Jennifer told her she could. And then two weeks later, she arrived after taking a Greyhound bus from Arizona. Back to Atlanta. Went to see... No, Suzanne came back to Atlanta. By herself? Yes. Okay, that's interesting. It is interesting. It was during this visit that Suzanne asked the Fishers if she could stay and live with them. She explained that she didn't like Arizona and she wanted to remain with them. Mrs. Fisher reported that it would be up to her father, Franklin, to decide if she could stay. And Franklin is in Arizona at this time? Mm Mm-hmm. That makes no sense. I know. It's very... This is her one opportunity. Like, looking back, this was her one opportunity to escape. It's a big moment. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. But Miss Fisher said that they would not take her in unless her father granted permission, unless she gave them a reason. So, Miss Fisher asked if there was any reason that Suzanne wanted to leave her father, and Suzanne said no. Suzanne quickly changed her mind and stated that she would have to go back to take care of her father. Suzanne reported that she would be on the bus to Arizona the next morning. However, the Fishers didn't think she should ride the bus alone and brought her a plane ticket. The Fishers took her to the airport, and Suzanne cried like a baby because she didn't want to go back. Nobody was like, something ain't right. This wasn't Jenny's time to be like, Mama. When I was there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Just the gun play. Just forget the right. That's why I don't believe that happened. Because if you're, you're my friend and you come to my house, I go to your house and this thing takes place. 
if I don't tell my mom, let's say I don't, in a world where that happens, because that would never, I would, I would squeal like a pig. Yeah. But in this world where I don't. We snitches. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's good. Yeah, we snitches. Um, in a world where that doesn't happen, you come back to visit me after giving birth to your son that you had to turn around and let go. Right. And you're saying, I want to stay with you. I know that your daddy busted in, you know, your dad, air quotes, mm-hmm. busted in and did this thing. Wouldn't you tell your mama? Immediately. Right then. You would break. It, right that, right then. To see my friend go through that. Right. If yeah. you're crying like that, and I already know that this took place when I was there. I'd be like, yes, mama, and this is why she needs to stay with us. Right. This happened. I'm sorry. We I can protect you. her. Right. So that's why I don't believe that story. And if it is, then I got issues. Yeah. Because you should have squealed like a pig. Right. You should have just snitched. Yeah. Hardcore. Right. But you know the adage. I don't care. I know. They could have had her anywhere. By the time he came there to get her, they could have had her anywhere. Right. And they had resources. Exactly. That's the exact word I just said. Yep. And I think that's the reason why she went to them out of everybody else she had contact with. They could have put her on a plane ticket somewhere else and sent her with family somewhere else. Yeah. Got the police involved. Yeah. And before you knew it, she was safe. And I feel like one call to the police at this time, he'd have bolted. Oh, yeah. He would have. Yeah. He wouldn't have saw it, like sat there and fought that because he knew. Mm-hmm. He, he was already on the run. Exactly. So he's not going to sit there and try it. She's older now. She's used up mm-hmm. in, his, in his mind. So She hadn't started dancing yet. So he wasn't. She didn't bring anything to him at that point. Right. She was a burden. Or anymore. She was a burden. He right. didn't see her as, a, you know, a sexual gratification anymore. And she wasn't bringing him anything. So I don't, I don't. I got issues. Like I said, this was the moment. If she was going to get away, this was the moment. And I got issues with her friend. Yeah, I know. Like. Yeah. I mean, I get where you're coming from, 100%. Never. Like I said, throughout this time, she did ask for help numerous times in numerous different ways. Her running. This one. This is her literally asking, can I stay with you, please? But she's been trained and terrified. That if she tells on him. Now, I really wish she had looked at Miss Fisher and be like, he raped me. He rapes me. Yeah. You know, he beats me. That's not my real daddy. Yeah. At this point, I think they would have intervened. Yeah. I think if Miss Fisher and Mr. Fisher had known. Yeah. I agree. You know, but they didn't. So. Hmm. Anyway, yeah. So now we're going to go to fall of 1986, and you remember me telling you about Mario in yes. the beginning. So in fall of 1986, Mario received a surprise visit from from Suzanne, who he known as who he knew as Sharon. He reported that he was attending the homecoming game at Alabama High School in Arizona when he looked up and there was Suzanne. Mm-hmm. Suzanne and Mario spent the football game catching up. Mario was with his girlfriend at the time and just kind of... Bye. <laughs> yeah, bye. And... Um, so after that... Um, 
Mario didn't have any other contact. She just, they got caught up at the game and then she bounced out again. And he didn't see her again until December. Okay. Okay. And Mario reported that in December, Suzanne showed up to his apartment and her arm and hand were bandaged, but she wouldn't explain why. Um, so Mario told Suzanne that he had pre-enlisted in the Navy and after that visit, just like that, Suzanne was gone again. So that's going to bring us to Arizona in 1987. Okay. Just clarifying, Mario was the friend at school whose mom was a cop? No. That was who she called Ray Baby. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Mario was the middle school friend out in Arizona. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah. This story just do-do-do-do-do. She hopped, man. They Mm -hmm. had to. Yeah. While in Arizona in 1987, Suzanne worked as a hostess at a local restaurant. Okay. And she developed a relationship with a man named Greg Higgs. Okay. Who also worked at the same restaurant. Greg and Sharon dated for around three months and their relationship grew. Okay. On one occasion, Greg details in A Beautiful Child by Matthew Burbeck that some businessmen on a business trip had met Suzanne at the restaurant and were smitten with her. Okay? And they offered to pay for her college. Skeevy? Yeah, kind of. However, after meeting with Franklin, because they had to get Daddy's permission, okay, they rescinded their offer because Franklin um, tried to get them to invest in his painting business versus paying for Suzanne's college. Hmm. Yeah. Suzanne continued to work for the restaurant for a couple more months when one day Greg reported to work and was given a note note from Suzanne. Okay. The note stated that she and her father had to leave. And so they left. Wow. Don't know... What happened in that time? He just got another freak out and left. So, after a few months went past, Greg went to work and Suzanne was back. And the pe- <laughs> yeah, weird. I know. And the two picked up where they had left off. In the late fall of 1987, Greg once again was told Suzanne had quit. He never saw Suzanne again. Suzanne was pregnant, but Greg didn't know. Do we know who Dad was? Of that one? Greg. Greg was? Greg. Gotcha. So Franklin and Suzanne would appear in Florida in 1988, in January 1988, when she applied for a job at Mons Venus, an exotic dance club. Suzanne and Franklin were still using the aliases of Warren and Sharon Marshall. They stuck with those aliases for a while. Well, they worked. Yeah. Nobody questioned anything. Right. Suzanne was told that she needed to lose some weight when she applied, but it soon became obvious that she was pregnant. (laughs) This was an issue until the patrons of the club reported that they enjoyed seeing Suzanne dance while pregnant. And that she did do. She danced right up until April 21st, 1987, when she gave birth to a baby boy who was named Michael Gregory Marshall. I have issues with all of that. I know. I know. But Suzanne took a brief break and then returned to Mons to dance. Ew. I know. Suzanne stayed to herself and didn't socialize much with the other girls at the club. While quiet and isolated, Suzanne did manage to make a couple of friends at Mons, one of whom was known as Heather Lane. 
and she <laughs> Heather was also in the documentary Girl uh, in the Picture. Uh, um, the Netflix. The Netflix that we watched. Okay. I messed her up. Y'all made a face. Yes, Lord. <laughs> and I'm trying not to laugh because, yes. According to a beautiful child, Heather noticed the weird relationship with Suzanne and Franklin, who was still posing as her father. Franklin would wait outside in the parking lot of the club every night, waiting for Suzanne to leave after being barred from coming inside the club to watch her perform. Do we know where the baby was during this? Uh-huh. Where? In the car seat. In the car? In the car. Okay. He didn't have a babysitter until he was six months old, but I get into all that. Okay. Heather reported in finding Sharon that Suzanne would spend her breaks from performing going outside to play with her son, Michael, who was often with Franklin in his car seat. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. Heather also reports that Franklin would speak to the other dancers and encourage them to continue their craft and encourage requested that they call him dad he and a lot of people be- complied yeah he i have issues with so many things with this club but he gives me that vibe of that person that come like tries to come across as like super friendly and super nice and like just oh you know like thinks he's super charismatic but just really comes off as it's creepy creepy yeah like that's how Never met this person, but that's the the impression that I he get. tries to manipulate. Well, and it's like I've been watching a lot of cop shows lately. <laughs> watching live PD, and the ones that are like super talkative and want to tell you all kinds of things. That's that's how I think Franklin would be. Yeah, for sure. Like, oh yeah, deflect, 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 deflect. Like we're not going to talk about this. Let me tell you about this. Mm. Like just trying to keep it focused on things he wants to keep it focused on. And later on, when he's being interviewed with the FBI and all that, and I promise we're going to get into all that, but it's a long story, y'all. Yeah, he's that way. Like See, it'll I've, be forty-five minutes, and they don't even get a question in. Yeah, because he, he has to control yeah. it. And I, I hate that this poor girl went out there and spent all her breaks just to play with her baby. I know. I don't know why he let her keep this one. I don't know either. I don't know. Unless she threatened to harm herself. I don't... Or it was like, kill me. If I can't keep it, kill me. See, I don't even know... That it was like that because knowing or you think what she did for Ray, baby. You think it was? I a, think he was like. She'll protect this. Yep. It's another way to control her. Yep. And get her to do exactly what. I think he was starting have, to have maybe issues with her. Yep. Like she was trying to break away. So, all right, go ahead and leave. I got your little boy. Yeah. Go right ahead. I'll do to him what I did to you. Like any of that, and or she I'll was kill like, him. "Absolutely not! I'm not going to leave my child here." Because she doesn't give me the vibe as a person. I mean, I don't know her, but from everything you've seen and what people have said, she doesn't give me the vibe of a type of person who would want to keep a child in that environment. No, no. So I don't think that that was her choice, right? Or her desire, right? You think he made her? I think he was him. like, "No, you're keeping this one, mm-hmm. and we're gonna. I'm gonna use it." I agree. I'll have to agree. You have a devious mind. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> well, it's a good thing. I mean, no. 
It's a good thing for the show. Yeah. <laughs> not devious person. You're not. But, so. yeah. I just think that that could be the only thing that makes sense. It, it, yeah. You're right. It's just another piece of, I'm usually the psychological one, but you, you, you're on this. Yeah. So back to the story. Um, it wasn't long until Suzanne asked to join Heather in her outside of the club activities. Okay. Um, which was having sex with clients at high-end hotels. That was left out of the documentary. Yes, it was. She said it was the Millionaire Club and you didn't have to do anything like that and you would go in there and make like $500 to $1,000. I mean, I think the $500 to $1,000 is true. Um, but, but in both A Beautiful Child and Finding Sharon, it details the... the, the Prostitution, Sex work. Yes. So... Hmm. Heather agreed, and it wasn't long until Franklin was driving Heather and Sharon to and from these parties. Why was she so weird to her then about soliciting sex outside the bathroom? I think in that one party, it was a no-no. Was that because, because she makes that out like that was at the club. Is this because these are activities that she she said outside of club? Okay. This is outside of club work. So maybe that's why, because it it's a no-no inside, inside the, club, the club, but she would still do it on the outside. Mm. She would just get with these men and be like, we'll come over here to this hotel, and that, Heather is. That's my interpretation as well. Okay. Because she's kind of snooty about that in the documentary. <laughs> I can't with you. Well, she, she is. Yeah. She's very upset. Yeah. Like, it was this just, ooh, it's so disgusting, but then you're going to sit here and tell me you had sex parties, so... Yes. I mean, what is it? (laughs) So, it wasn't long until Franklin was driving Heather and Sharon to and from these parties. So, Heather reported that Suzanne um, would return to the car after the sex act and hand all the money she had made over to Franklin. So, go to hotel, complete sex act, go down, give the money to... Yeah, because he was driving them to and from. No, just like Like when they were done. Gotcha. Okay. Heather reported that um, on one, uh, sorry, at one point, Franklin asked Heather to allow him to come in and watch and take pictures. Of Heather? Of both of them, because this was both of them. Okay. And she said that she was appalled and denied that request. And thought it was really weird that this daddy wanted to watch his little girl have sex. Yeah. Uh, Fire. Um, At one point, Suzanne informed Heather that one of her dad's friends was coming into town and that she asked her. Suzanne asked Heather if she would come with her to this arranged meeting. So her daddy set up for her to go. Mm-hmm. Is this the David guy? I, it, he's not named. Okay. So I don't know. I think so. Yeah, I'm thinking why else would he have... Right. Yeah. So um, Heather agreed to accompany her, and Franklin once again drove Heather and Suzanne to the hotel. Okay. However, this was not Heather's typical hotel. This was a run-down motel in mm-hmm. a remote part of town. Suzanne introduced Heather to the man, and 
um, when they were meeting, no names were given in either one of the books. Okay. Okay. And the man told Heather that he was a lifelong friend of Franklin's or Warren's. And he had been having sex with Suzanne most of her life. That's... mm. I told you I thought he pimped her out. Yeah, apparently. But eventually, Suzanne and Heather had a party together. And on the way back from the party, the conversation turned to bondage and, like, SMS stuff. And this really excited Franklin. Okay, to a disturbing level. And he would not stop talking about it. Well, I mean, you already found out earlier that when he was married to her mama, he couldn't have sex unless it was violent. So right. Of course, this would be like right up his alley. Right. But Heather didn't know all that. No. So um, he kept talking about sexually violent acts and even told Heather that if she didn't believe that he could perform that he that she could ask Suzanne. Ew. Yeah. I think this was his slippage. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, this was a leak. This was a Freudian slip. Yeah, I think he's just a pervert and he was getting ahead of himself. Yeah. Heather was really upset by this interaction and told security in the club upon returning that she was not to be around Franklin again. Not to let him anywhere near her. But he already couldn't come in. Right. I guess warning them, like, walk her out, like, that kind of stuff. Heather also started telling other girls in the club to stay away from Franklin. Um, Suzanne eventually caught on to the rumors and approached Heather not knowing that the rumors had started with her. And see, again, why I have issue with her. I know. Because she comes off as like, we were trying to save her. Yeah. And that, none of this indicates that. I know. Heather reported that Heather reportedly told Suzanne that everyone thought Franklin was crazy and that Suzanne should take her son and get far away from him. According to Heather in um, Finding Sharon, Suzanne said that she was she became visibly visibly scared and she said she couldn't leave. Okay. Um, she told Heather that Franklin was not her real father and that he had been sexually abusing her most of her life, either through molestation or out-and-out rape. She also told Heather that he didn't do it to her anymore at this point, but that he had done it to her her whole life. Mm -hmm. Well, he doesn't. He pimps her out now. Right. Heather once again told Suzanne that she needed to leave, and Suzanne told her that she couldn't leave, that she couldn't leave, because Franklin would kill her, and he never let Michael out of his sight. Yeah, that was his nail in her. Yeah. So, yeah, she couldn't leave. And Heather already knew that anyway, because she just said that the guy told her that he had been <clears throat> having sex with Sharon most of her life. I know. Yeah. None of that's in the documentary. (laughs) No, but it is in the books. And that's where this information is gathered by. My resources for this information is Finding Sharon and a Beautiful Child, Matthew Burbeck. But the thing that bothers me is Burbeck's in the documentary, Heather's in the documentary. Like all these people that gave additional stuff for the book are in the documentary. Yes, I understand that. I cannot explain to you why the documentary... um, was the the Cliff Notes Cliff Notes version yeah. of this story? It very much is like and it, like stuff that's not in the book is in the documentary. 
Like what? The rape thing, right? That's not in the book, is it? What rape thing? Where she talks about oh, pillowcase. Jennifer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not in the book. That's in the documentary. See? And, like, that makes no sense to me either. Right. But, yeah. So. So, but anyway. Mm, this poor girl. Yes. Like, this poor girl. Yes. So, just so I'm clear, too, these parties that they had, is that, like... Heather and um, Suzanne would go and have sex with these people or person or whatever and then leave? Yes. Okay. So just straight up prostitution. Based on my understanding. Okay. Yes. Wow. Yes. This story is exhausting. Yeah, I mean, every time that you think you're closer to the end. It's... Well, we are closer to the end. Yeah, but there's still there's so, so much. much. There's right. still so much, yes. So with that, Coffee Breakers, <laughs> I am so sorry to do this to you guys, but that's part two. Part three will be next week, and I hope to finish it up next week. Because, honestly, there's so much detail and there's so many little things in this story that I'm trying to give you guys the most accurate and least confusing um, because it is very confusing. Even the books jump. Yeah. Well, they did. In the documentary? Well, like, their life. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It would be like, we're here today, we're there oh, tomorrow. I meant, I like, meant time periods. Like, oh, even well. the books, like, you'll be in 1986, and then you're jumping to 90, and then you're in 88. And then, uh. Yeah, that's too much. So, I, I'm trying to condense it all down into a timeline I think you're do you're doing a cohesive job. You're walk walking us through being a child to where she is now. Yeah, and th that's my goal. Yeah. And I wanted to kind of give you as much detail as possible. Um, again, just trying to keep her story alive, keep her name alive, because this girl went through so much. Um. Yeah. So, we teaser. You may may or not. You may already or not know. I don't know. This stuff with Heather, was this before or during Cheryl? Before. Okay. Cheryl's coming up. Okay. I was just curious. In if just like a few months. They were all happening at the same time or if it was like he got so far with Heather and it didn't go anywhere. He got so far with Heather, Heather shut him down. Okay. And they actually bounce for a minute. Okay. They leave Florida and go somewhere else. And I'm going to tell you that story. Okay. And then they come back. And then that's when Cheryl enters in the picture. And see, I wonder, too, if it's because Heather was older. Like, yeah. Like, she was a little bit more like, mm-mm. Yeah. Versus being naive and being like, this person yeah. can help me. And Right. I think so. You know, Heather done been through some stuff. Yeah. So, she done seen the world, like, the ugly parts of the world. Yeah. You know, so, she, she was... Um, she had seen people like Franklin. And even in the book, when they're talking about, and they give you very brief details about Heather's history, mm -hmm. she was kidnapped and kept for five years. I want to say she was nine years old. I'll have to verify that. By a convicted rapist who sexually abused her that entire time. Now, see, again, she does talk about in the documentary being taken, mm -hmm. but she doesn't say by who. And I think she says the timeline. I think she says about five years and yeah. her mother found her, but left all that out, too. So Right. Which I understand if they're trying to tell Sharon's Suzanne. Suzanne's story. That, you know, she didn't want to overshadow or whatever. Yeah. But, 
you know, that is in the books. But it makes more sense that she was like, nope, never again. Don't let him near me. I'm never doing anything with it. But I think she associated him and Suzanne as perpetrators as the same. Yeah. I I think in their mind, because she wouldn't leave him. Yeah. She was just as bad. Not knowing even, and even when she knew though, because she said she told her. Yeah. And she's kind of like, well, you need to leave. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. I hadn't thought about that. You know, like, it's just kind of like, yeah. She knows, but how? But how? And she had her how. You know, she had that planned out. I do believe. The only reason that she came to visit Jenny. Is was to ask if she could stay with them. Not saying that she didn't love Jenny or the Fishers. I think she did. I thought she. I think she sees. So she saw them as a place of comfort. Yeah. Of acceptance. And that's the only time throughout this whole story that I'm like, why didn't she say? Yeah. Like that one. I'm like, you. It was perfect. He wasn't there. He was a, a good bit away. You had time. Like, why not? Yeah, and I can't answer that. How long after the baby did she go out? Um, it was midsummer. She had the baby in July. She went out like end of July, so a few weeks. Okay. Because part of me is like, did he keep that baby? And was like, I will, like, if you don't come back, I'll kill it. Or I mean, it, then it went and got adopted. Like, I don't even. It's all potential. We don't know the details. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe she was in that desperate mindset because she had just given birth to a baby and she was looking for a way out and but she was still scared and you know you've had babies you know how your mind's jacked yeah I feel right like after make birth it worse though. i feel like i'd be like word vomit maybe <laughs> let me tell you all the things like and then the family would look at me like oh 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 goodness yeah but we we didn't grow up in that type of no. i will kill you i will kill you i will kill you i'll kill and be and sexually assaulted and be and sexually assaulted, assaulted. so like no. daily I mean, this and is I know daily. with any kind of sexual assault, there's like a guilt. Yeah, and I could see her being like, "They'll not. They're gonna think, you know." Well, she just had a baby too, and they're not mm-hmm. maybe not believe that this man has done this to her her whole whole entire life. Like, well, you know, he because he let her go too. Like, he let mm-hmm. her go out. Yeah. How many people are going to school and? Doing well academically and being part of these groups and going to church and doing all this stuff and being regularly sexually assaulted. I don't know, but that's a good question. But I'm, I think that's why people didn't like he was skeevy. He was weird. But how many people that you meet are just weird doesn't necessarily equate the same level. I know. So I wonder if that's a part maybe of it. her thing. Like they'll never believe you. They'll never believe me. And then she went and got pregnant. Yeah. You know, in her mind, in, you know, how rumors are, you know, oh, yeah. how they, she probably got called all kind of names and slut, whore, yeah. da, 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 you know. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. And she's just like, oh, they're not going to believe me. Yeah. And she backed out. Yeah. Bless her. Mm. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's my water jug. <laughs> Y'all heard that. Sorry. Y'all heard that. It's okay. Need a little swig. Um, but anyway, coffee breakers, that's going to conclude part two. I will pick it up from here next week. Next Wednesday, we'll do part three and final. I don't care what I have to do. It's going to be Maybe the it'll final. Maybe a little longer. Maybe it'll be four hours. I have no idea. 
this um, one's not even an hour, is it? No, this one's going to be over an hour. Oh, okay. Yeah. By the time, because we recorded on several days. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So by the time it's all condensed in, it's going to be over an hour for that sure. That's true. That is true. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. I think this is a good one. I, I've enjoyed it. I know it's been a lot for you. Yeah, but... but I'm the I one that's like, like, yeah, I'll do so it. It's so much better of a story. And I don't want to, I hate to say it like that because this woman went through all this stuff, but I'm saying it gives more cohesiveness. It makes more sense. And you get a better picture of everything. Well, thank you. So I think and also, I've enjoyed it. So. Well, thank you. And thank you to Matthew Burbeck who wrote the books for me to put this together. Correct. And the documentary for letting us know. I mean, seriously, I would not know this story. I would not know those books existed if it wasn't for that Netflix documentary. Yeah. And so, you know, but it is concerning how many kids are just like Suzanne. And I don't mean kidnapped from by a madman. But just going through that kind of stuff, but they give no warning signs. And that's, again, why if you see something, say Say something. something. It is better to just be wrong than not do anything at all. Right. All right. As always, check out our friends, uh, Ink Coffee, Java Mama Coffee. Uh, Violet Ivy, SKD, Creations, and Lavender and Spice Boutique. And we will catch you. Oh, 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 I forgot, forgot. Find us on all the social medias, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, yes, and the TikTok. And the TikTok. Um, oh, also catch out Relic Rain on Twitch TV on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Saturdays. All you have to do is type in Relic. And he should pop up. He's got like the little wizard grim. It's like a purple grim reaper is what I think of. Purple grim reaper. Let's go with that. But I feel like most people are like, yeah, that's what she's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, super cool dude. Super fun to hang with. Check uh, out that podcast episode from Monday too. Like I, we, we enjoyed that one a lot. We laughed a lot. So. so I tried to go back to listen to it, but you know, I absolutely hate the way I, I laugh. So I, I laughed a lot. In that, and I was just like, I can't get through it. So I just, I quit listening to it. You're your worst critic. Well, yeah. Um, catch us for Free For All Friday this Friday. We're going to start doing those weeklies by uh, uh, demand. Yes. And if you want to support us, feel free to share this podcast with a family, with friends, with your social media. Tell them to follow. Tell them to follow. Um, and also, there's a way that you can send us voice messages. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes. Um, and is that everything? Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.